Welcome to another episode of the James Inc. Podcast. I am your co-host, Jesse Ulrich. And with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Elisa Bell. Elisa, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm a little stir-crazy. Uh, you know, just taking a walk around the neighborhood is not my definition of going out, but that is the situation I'm in. Well, I, I have a COVID-19 brain as well. So I, I completely understand that, but I do get out and walk every afternoon, which is a plus for me. Excellent. So do you want you want to tell everyone what we're talking about today? Actually, I would love to. We have uh, our own Dr. Whitaker, who is a member of our board, joining us for the podcast today. Dr. Whitaker is the owner of a pediat- pediatric clinic at Westview Medical Center. And uh, she has been gracious enough to come on and talk to us about health during this time, specifically the health of our little ones. And her uh, topic today is going to be seven habits of healthy kids. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Whitaker. Thank you, Elisa, for having me. Um, uh, This is a pleasure, and I'm not sure if I'm famous, but... (laughs) Thank you for that introduction. Uh, But uh, as uh, was mentioned, um, I am a pediatrician at uh, Westview Medical Center. The name of my practice is Westview Pediatric Care, and uh, we have been open since November of 2012. And uh, I was asked to um, give a talk on the health of uh, children, particularly the the little ones, like, um, you know, infants um, through toddlerhood. And uh, I uh, jumped at the opportunity. So I am going to just jump right in. And then I guess we'll have a question and answer session after that. So this is coming from a talk that I actually gave uh, about three or four years ago uh, for a health fair at one of the local churches here in Tulsa. And I titled it The uh, Seven Habits of Healthy Kids. I kind of uh, did a play on words. It was a book written by uh, a gentleman named Stephen Covey, and he wrote a book uh, that was like on the New York Times bestseller. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So I kind of did a play on that and made it fit uh, for pediatrics. So The Seven Habits of Healthy Kids, in, in my opinion, are One, um, receiving regular well child exams or checkups. Two, receiving immunizations. Third is um, getting regular physical activity, eating healthy. Fourth is getting plenty of rest and sleep. Five is reading. Six is um, openly communicating with parents. And seven is setting goals. So we'll go right into the first one, which are the uh, well check exams. So the cornerstone of pediatrics is preventive medicine. So uh, children, you know, come in for their uh, regular checkup exams um, starting um, after they are born. And actually being healthy really starts before birth. So um, it's important for mothers when they are pregnant to get um prenatal care while they are pregnant so that um, their obstetrician gynecologist can monitor uh, the growth and development of the baby uh, um, before they're born. So prenatal care definitely increases the chance of having a healthy baby. And if there are any problems detected during the pregnancy, they can be addressed earlier rather than later. So a healthy mother 
equals a healthy baby. So starting with the newborn exam, children are seen regularly for their checkup exams to monitor their growth and development. Within the first two years, there's um, a lot of rapid um, development and growth. So the exams are pretty much scheduled every few months, um, then one to two years um, until 18 years of age. So the typical schedule is a newborn exam, which is typically within three to five days um, after a baby is born. And then there might be a checkup at about two weeks. And then we see them at um, two, four, six months of age, nine months, 12 months, 15 months, 18 months, two years years old. And then after that, it's uh, once a year or sometimes every couple of years um, until age 18. Okay. And and part of those well-check exams, um, you know, monitoring the growth and development of children is what most children dread are the shots. And even though children, you know, do not look forward to giving shots, um, they are a very important part of the checkup exam, um, because we know that vaccines um, are helpful in, um, we say preventing disease, but they don't necessarily prevent the disease because it can't, um, you know, prevent a disease completely. What it does, it, it helps to lessen the risk that a child will become seriously ill if they get the disease, if they get the illness, because we can't um, alter a person's exposure. You know, children are around, you know, family, friends, other people out in, you know, the public setting. So you can't really control who you're going to come in contact with. So the vaccines are important to protect a child's um, immune system um, and prepare it to be able to tackle an infection should that child become exposed to it. So a child who is exposed to an infection that has been vaccinated will be less likely to experience any serious ill um, side, I mean, experience any uh, severe illness and possibly ending up in the hospital as opposed to a child who has not had any vaccines. That child would be very susceptible to a serious illness ending up um, in the hospital. So they're uh, beneficial for the patient themselves, beneficial also for other children in the community and other people in the community, particularly people who cannot receive vaccines because they have maybe some type of uh, condition that decreases their immune system and would not allow them to actually receive the vaccine. So if those people are exposed to uh, a child who has never been vaccinated, the, the uh, illness or the infection is much more likely to spread um, because there's been no prevention from the vaccine. So it protects not only the individual being vaccinated, protects um, others in the community who are uh, vulnerable who cannot receive vaccines. And then if everyone is vaccinated or the more people that are vaccinated, it protects future generations. And vaccines are um, safe and they're effective. Um, As with anything, they do come with risks, but the risks of, I mean, the the risks of anything um, serious happening from vaccines are very, very minimal. The most um, 
side effects that most children will experience from vaccines will be, um, you know, maybe some mild soreness at the injection site. Um, fever is, you know, very common, but that can be treated with um, Tylenol, um, Motrin for, you know, older ch- uh, children. But um, typically those are some pretty, ex- the, the most common expected things that can happen after vaccines. So, uh, real serious vaccine side effects are very, uh, very minimal. And then I also just want to say that immunizations do not cause autism. Um, that is a has been a very uh, controversial and hot topic when it comes to vaccines, but there have been multiple studies to show that vaccines do not cause autism. Before I go into, go into the uh, third tip can we take some questions from our audience because the as we were asking for communication around this subject and preparing to get ready for this discussion there were several of our clients who had questions regarding um immunization and um this COVID-19 so Okay. Yeah, see, let's bring in one of them. Let's let's let somebody get a question in regarding that because I think this is good information. Who's got a question? I do. I can ask a question. So this was written in by Sarah Jeffries, and it is regarding what Elisa had just brought up. Her question is: Should we still be taking our children to go get vaccines during the shelter in place? because it's really hard to get an appointment right now, or should we be waiting until after all of this slows down? It's um, a combination of the two. So what the majority of pediatric practices, not just here in Tulsa, the state of Oklahoma, but across the country, what practices are doing, including my own practice, is that we are seeing our infants um, under age two, uh, for their vaccines, because we want them to get their, you know, first series of the primary uh, round of vaccines. So that would be the immunizations at the two month, four month, six month, and a uh, twelve month visit. So we are still seeing those children uh, for those uh, set of vaccines. Now, the older children, or maybe the children who are like eighteen months or two years, if they have happened to be behind on their shot then, you know, we'll see them, they can be seen so we can get them caught up on shots. Older children, just pretty much, you know, school-aged children, four years old and beyond, we are holding off on those until a little bit later because they have had their um, primary set of shots and really what they would just be getting are uh, booster shots. So they've had uh, enough complement of vaccines um, for that first set. So Right now, we were just seeing, um, you know, those under two. And then probably, you know, in the next, you know, month or two, we'll be able to resume with the older children getting their sh- getting their shots. Should we be taking immunity boosters such as emergency, etc.? So there has been, I've, you know, have seen um, some literature on uh, vitamin C, excuse me, vitamin C as um, an immune booster. Um, Shouldn't have to take more than, you know, what's, you know, recommended or what would be found in like just a a multivitamin um, supplement. 
So with that being said, Dr. Whitaker, let's go to our third item on the tip list. Physical activity and eating healthy. So this is probably more important even now during this time of being sheltered in place. Um, You know, kids are not in school, so they're not in, you know, having recess. They're not having gym. They're not, you know, going to, you know, basketball practice or track or whatever sport that they might be in. It's even more important now for kids to be able to still get regular physical activity. And right now, or not right now, but just general um, physical act is recommended for children to get 60 minutes of daily physical activity. So, and it doesn't have to be part of an, you know, an organized sports team. It just be, you know, outdoor recreational play. And now that, you know, we're having to shelter in place, it's even more important. I think I've been seeing and hearing a lot more uh, about kids, you know, going outside just to play because, you know, they're kind of, you know, being cooped up in the house and, you know, kind of going stir crazy, just like we all are. So, you know, just as, you know, Lisa mentioned, she gets out and takes her a walk every day. The kids need to go outside, you know, in the backyard, you know, or in the driveway. If they've got a basketball hoop, shoot some, shoot some hoops, grab a jump rope, do some jump rope, you know, or even just, you know, playing tag, just, you know, good old fashioned, you know, basic kid play. But, you know, getting that in, um, you know, every day is now even more important. And also making physical physical activity, you know, a family affair, not just for the kids, but, you know, everybody join in. So now, you know, it's helpful for, you know, not just the kids to be outside playing, but maybe the whole family, you know, take a walk through the neighborhood or the whole family takes, you know, the dog for a walk in the neighborhood. So, I think the, if families, you know, do it together, it becomes more enjoyable and fun and, you know, everybody looks forward to it. Um, talking about being in the house and, um, you know, I know schools have started the online distance learning. So we're kind of increasing, you know, time on the computer because they happen to do, you know, school on the computer. And then they probably want to have some, you know, time to, you know, watch movies or play games. So screen time has probably gone up. You know, the Academy of Pediatrics recommends limiting screen time to two hours a day, but we know that now we are in special circumstances. So that's, you know, probably a little lax at this point, but generally speaking, you want to limit that to two hours a day. Okay. So um, that is a perfect segue into eating healthy. So if you're sitting down in front of a computer screen for several hours a day, as most habits people do when you're sitting down, you know, in front of the computer or in front of the TV, you kind of tend to eat a lot or snack a lot when you're watching TV. So we want to make sure that the kids are, you know, eating healthy, um, and eating healthy snacks, not a lot of, you know, junky snacks. And then also, you know, making healthy meals. I'm sure um, people are probably cooking meals at home a lot more now because, you know, restaurants are closed, even though, you know, you can still get, you know, takeout or drive through, you know, people can still have that option, but I'm sure people are, you know, cooking more at home now. 
um, and probably discovering, you know, healthier ways to to uh, prepare meals. So one website that is very helpful in um, giving parents guidance on how to, you know, uh, prepare healthy meals for their child and have um, healthy snacks is myplate.gov. That's M-Y p-l-a-t-e dot gov. And this is, I went on there today, they've actually made some changes. They have an, an app um, that, that can be downloaded to your phone. Um, but they, it's just a wealth of information that talks about, you know, the different um, food groups and the proportion, uh, portion sizes that you should um, give for your children. And it breaks it down from like your preschoolers to your, um, middle schoolers, your teenagers. So it's, uh, it's very helpful. And I um, just encourage all parents to go on there. And it's, you know, it's colorful, it's interactive. And so it's very easy to get the children engaged um, and learning about healthy eating and what that looks like um, at home. Can we uh, jump in with a question uh, my question is, what can I do as a mom to help educate my kids on healthy eating habits during this time? You know, because during these times, I feel like we just eat what we have in hand. I mean, um, like school lunches, I've noticed that um, they provide uh, like sweets, like juice or um candy bar like not candy bars, but, you know, like sweet stuff. And I was just wondering, like, I mean... How, how do we educate them on that point? I mean, I know limiting it is important, but I mean, how else could we kind of guide them towards healthy eating habits? I think I saw another question about what are some good superfoods. So maybe if you could educate us on what superfoods are, and then, like Linda said, how do we lead our kids to eating those superfoods? So... One, you have to model healthy eating for children, particularly because it starts, you know, very young. You know, parents are the children are your children's first teacher. So they are learning everything from their parents. So if the parents are modeling healthy eating behaviors, it's much more likely that the child will develop those healthy eating behaviors. And toddlers are a particularly interesting group of <laughs> of children because their appetites are on a roller coaster. One minute they will eat any and everything and then the next minute they don't want to eat some of the things that they've been eating. And then, you know, you turn around again and they're back to eating everything that they were eating before. And then sometimes, the, you know, the amount of what they eat will change. So toddlers are a real finicky group of people. But you have to learn how to be flexible. But if you, you know, like I said, parents start off modeling those healthy eating habits it's much easier for the child to adapt. And then you, you know, you, at this point, the parents can control what the child has access to. So you can't, you know, force them to eat necessarily if they don't want to eat it. You can't force them to eat it. Um, 
and you can't really control how much they eat because, you know, you want them to be able to develop the sense of, you know, I'm full and I've had enough. And so I'm going to stop eating. So you can't force them to eat, you know, as how much they eat, but you can now control what you're introducing them to. So you want to make sure that, you know, you want to focus on fruits, whole uh, fruits are uh, a good uh, source of snacks. So whole fruits are better, but, you know, if you, you know, have some, you know, canned or packaged fruits, you want to make sure it's like in fruit juice, 100% fruit juice and not that heavy, you know, um, high fructose corn syrup. Um, so fruits, you know, two-year-olds need like, you know, um, a, a cup of fruit a day that would count as a, a, a serving for them. Um, then, you know, vegetables, um, you know, whole vegetables are our best, but you can even get some, you know, frozen vegetables and vegetables are, that's the area where most kids are picky. Um, you know, it, it's hard to get some kids to eat vegetables and others will just eat you know, any vegetable you give them, but you have to just offer them a variety of um, foods, of uh, vegetables, and not give up if they refuse it the first time or the second time or the third time, because there have been studies that show that you have to sometimes offer a child a food 15 to 20 times before they decide that, you know, they'll like it and they'll eat it. So you just really have to be flexible, you know, in the offerings of, you know, vegetables, fruits, um, and other foods, um, like whole grains, um, excuse me, like, you know, bread, you know, whole wheat bread, um, oatmeal, um, you know, uh, um, like bran cereals, um, you know, things like that. Um, and then there's uh, protein. Um, you want to make sure that the children are getting protein and that. You know, if you're a vegetarian and you're not doing meat, you know, that's fine. You use a lot of plant-based proteins. Um, but for families that, you know, do eat meat, you want to make sure they're, you know, um, you know, lean meats, um, not a lot of fat. Um, poultry, seafood um, is good. Salmon, which is one of my favorite, um, has um, omega-3 fatty acids, and that's good for um, uh, brain development and brain growth. Um, and then there's um, also dairy. Uh, you know, dairy is a source of, you know, calcium and vitamin D. So there's, uh, you know, cow's milk, there's yogurt and cheese. So I know there's some people, especially if uh, families who are vegetarian or vegan, they may not do cow's uh, milk. Um, but there's, you know, almond milk, um, soy milk. So there are, you know, other alternatives that can also provide that um, uh, calcium and vitamin D. And also, you know, uh you know, plant sources that it can also uh, provide the calcium uh, as well. Well, Dr. Whitaker, let's go. Um, let's talk about rest. I know um, during this time, my rest is certainly not what it should be. Uh, I've developed the habit of staying up late uh, and then getting up early. But tell us about how important um right amount of rest and sleep is at this time. Right. So, you know, especially during this time, you know, we're out of our normal routines. Everybody's out of their normal routine. Kids, adults, everybody's out of their normal routine. So yes, sleep is going to be, excuse me, is going to be, you know, altered. Um, 
because we're not, you know, having, well, I'm having to get up and go to work still, (laughs) but some of us, you know, some people who are working from home, you're not having to, you know, get up and go to uh, a place of business. You can just kind of log in from home. So things are a little bit different, but as much as you can, especially for the children, because children, you know, still need to have a routine. It doesn't necessarily have to be as kind of, you know, rigid and more structured as if, you know, you're kind of in our normal routines of getting up and going to school and doing our after school activities and whatnot. But it's still better to have somewhat of a routine. So that means, you know, not letting them stay up too, too late, you know, let them have a little bit of extra time to stay up, but you still want them to be able to get, you know, uh, some good rest. And sleep requirements vary by age. Um, You know, newborns, they sleep, you know, the majority of, of their day. They, you know, need at least anywhere from 10 and a half to 18 hours of sleep. Um, Older infants, say about four to 11 months, they require about nine to 12 hours. Um, They may take anywhere from one to four naps a day. Um, Toddlers, like say one to two years old, they are about 11 to 14 hour um, sleep requirement and may take a nap a day. And I say may because, you know, some kids, they might take little cat naps and some kids are just kind of going all day. (laughs) Uh, The school age preschoolers, um, they require about 11 to 13 hours. Um, Usually after about age five, you know, once they're hitting school, they may not necessarily be taking naps. Um, School age children, um, so that's like our elementary to middle schoolers, um, they're require about nine to 11 hours um, of sleep. And that probably goes, you know, for the older teenagers, um, they probably, you know, about eight to nine hours of sleep. And a bedtime routine is very key, especially for the the toddlers and the preschoolers. So I like to say, let's, you know, follow the three Bs. They take their bath and uh, read a book, have a story time, and then, um, well, actually four Bs. So bath time, book time, uh, brush our teeth, and then go to bed. And the that routine, if you stick to it every night, it's makes it easier for kids to get ready, the little kids to get ready for bed because they kind of learn from that routine. They anticipate what step comes next. So kind of following that same routine really helps them get ready, prepared um, for bed. And it's it's best not to not have a TV in the room because that just kind of tends to, you know, they would tend to kind of, you know, want to watch TV or even, you know, having an iPad or a tablet, you know, available right before bedtime is not really conducive because all that really does is kind of keep the, the brain stimulated and doesn't give them that downtime to, you know, settle down and relax and unwind and get ready for bed. So that's why that bed to, bedtime routine with the four Bs is real important. I do have a question. So if our children are not yet on a schedule, if they're toddlers, how do we get them? Like, what advice would you have for us to start implementing that schedule? One thing that is easy is um, having a timer. 
So let's say we, you know, take their bath and they brush their teeth and you can have a timer set for, let's say, 10 minutes. So that would, you know, give you time to get through the book. And if you, you know, get through the book before the 10 minutes are up, then that can just be some time that, you know, you, you know, play a a game with the child or, you know, sing some nursery rhymes and you just let them know, okay, when the timer goes off, then that's time to go to bed because that's something kind of concrete that they can tie that to. And so the timer goes off and it's like, okay, it's time to go to bed. And, you know, they can say a bedtime prayer if that's uh, something else, too, you want to incorporate into the bedtime routine. And then, you know, let's turn the lights off and we go to bed. Now, it's not going to be, you know, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, they're going to just go to, you know, go to bed easily the first time. More likely not. So you just and you have you just have to stick with it, you know. And when a child gets up out the bed, you, you know, Take them gently back into the bed. You may have to do that maybe, a, you know, two or three times. But consistency is the key. It's not going to happen the first night. It may not happen after the third or fourth night. But if you, you know, keep that consistent routine, then, you know, it, it should help. So the key is just just whatever your routine is going to be, just you just have to jump in with it and get started and just be consistent with it. So I have Levi on a on a tight schedule with sleeping, um, mm-hmm. but with potty training, um, I've tried to not give him anything to drink after eight o'clock so he won't wet the bed. Uh, but sometimes he'll wake up and ask for something, and then it'll take a minute for him to go back to sleep, and then he's up like in the middle of the night. And I'm not sure if it's like something that's wrong with him, or I don't know. It's just been weird lately. How how old is he? We lost three. Oh, he's three. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're supposed to come see you, but we can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 I'll see him soon enough. Well, he's well, he's three, and is he uh, dry during the daytime? Uh, it just really depends on how much I give him to drink. I try not to give him too much milk. Um, mostly water. So I go through maybe three or four pull-ups throughout the day. Oh, okay. Okay. That's not, that's not really an excessive amount. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he's three and did he just turn three or is he? He'll be three on, um, Monday. Oh, so he just, he just turned three. So again, it's, it's just being consistent And I mean, if you kind of know that he, you know, may tend to wet more when you, you know, give him more fluids to drink, then just, you know, be a little conscious of that. But it, you know, he just turned three. So he's still within that range of, you know, um, still being allowed to, you know, have, you know, wetting accidents during the daytime. And even at at nighttime, um, you know, kids just will tend to get up sometimes. Um, Try not to give them something to drink in the middle of the night because you don't want them to associate being able to go back to sleep with always getting something to drink. Okay. So 
if you can eliminate that, you know, if he's waking up and he's, you know, crying, you know, you can go and, you know, check on him, you know, see, make sure everything is okay. And then, you know, try to have him, you know, settle back to sleep. But I wouldn't, you know, give him something to drink during the middle of the night if he wakes up. I think we're ready to go on to the next tip. Okay. I think we are just, we have about two more and that'll be, we'll have made it through all the tips. So the next tip, oh, actually three. So the next one is reading. So this is very important. Um, I have a program in my practice is called, well, it's not my program, but it's a, a national program, but it's called Reach Out and Read. And we give books to children when they come for their checkup visits, starting at six months of age up until they are five years old, they get a book. And that is to help promote um, love of books and early literacy, because studies have shown that um, a child, 80% of a child's brain development takes place by the time that they're three years old. And uh, children who grow up in households where reading takes place uh, regularly, and that would be on a daily basis, they enter kindergarten uh, with larger vocabularies, um, stronger language skills, and they actually score three to six times higher on vocabulary tests. So reading is very um, uh, critical. Remember the riff, reading is fundamental. <laughs> um, and actually, even though we give books out at the six-month visit, I actually encourage um, parents to read even to their newborns. So um, there's another program, uh, it's called Talking is Teaching, where um, parents are encouraged to talk, uh, read, sing uh, to their children, even from newborns. Because again, that brain development starts from the minute they're born. So um, um, that is, you know, very important. And, you know, now that, you know, kids are at home, instead of, you know, you know, some of that screen time can be broken up with, you know, reading books. So, um, yeah, this is a great time for, uh, you know, even parents to discover, you know, maybe what or share with their children what were some of their favorite books growing up. Um, I saw on Facebook the other day that Judy Bloom is offering a master class on um, on uh, Facebook for like how to to write like her or what inspired her to write. So I know Judy Bloom was, you know, she wrote a lot of books. Um, uh, geared towards, you know, adolescent girls. And I just loved Judy Bloom. So, you know, that would definitely be a time for mothers to maybe kind of share, you know, Judy Bloom books with their daughters. So reading is very, very important. And then um, open communication. Um, and this is really important, it, probably especially now, because I'm sure um, you know, kids have a lot of questions about, you know, what's going on, you know, why do we have to, you know, why can't I go to school? Why can't I see my friends? You know, why can't I, you know, go visit grandma? You know, they're just not being able to do the things that they normally do. So I know some parents might be wondering, well, should I, you know, talk about, you know, the, the pandemic? Should I not talk about it? 
So you don't want to, you know, constantly talk about it or constantly, you know, have the news on where it's just, you know, looping over and over again, or it's just a constant barrage of, you know, updates um, 24-7. So you don't want to overdo it, but you don't want to totally ignore it or avoid it either, because they probably have a lot of questions. So if your child, you know, is old enough to even understand, you know, or have have heard or even maybe have seen something, you know, on the news about this, it's it's okay to talk about it because they are going to have questions and it's okay to, you know, answer those questions honestly and just, you know, answer it on their level so that they can, you know, get an understanding and that they, you know, feel, you know, safe and and secure. So whether it's talking about this or um, talking about any other, you know, subject, it's always important to, you know, openly communicate with your children and, you know, just get on their level, be available for them. I think we're pretty, all pretty available towards kids now because, <laughs> because of the shelter in place, but, you know, just letting them know that you're list that you're listening and responding in a way that the children will, you know, hear you and listen to you. Not, you know, they're asking you a question. Don't try to, you know, answer their question while you're, you know, at the computer working on your your project for work. But, you know, actually stop what you're doing, turn and face your, the child and, you know, answer them, you know, make eye contact with them, engage them and not just kind of make it like a, in a, in a side thing that's going on. So um, that's, I think that's really important now to be, have open communication now more than ever. And then the last tip was um, setting goals. This might be more applicable for the, you know, school age children. So you talked a little bit about, you know, open communication. I was wondering how do we, I guess, bring on if there are behavioral problems because, you know, our kiddos are very used to going outside all the time, going grocery shopping. How do we deal with the behavioral problems that we're experiencing? Well, I think you want to um, you want to just you know talk to the child and you know ask them you know any questions like is you know is there you know something that's you know you're frightened by or you know something like that, but just kind of talking to them, just letting them, um, you know, get whatever feelings um, out that they have, whether, and then it depends on the age of the child. I mean, if you've got a, you know, a toddler, they're not necessarily going to say, well, I miss my friends or something like that. Um, So there are um, books sometimes that deal with, um, but when, when children are going through a um, any type of maybe traumatic experience or um, a stressful experience. There are some some books, and I, I have a link, but I, I can't think of. But I could send that to Elisa later, and then maybe put it on the the James Inc. page. Um, that um, would be helpful um, for like a, a preschooler um, to kind of maybe mirror maybe some of the things that they're you know feeling or thinking. Um, Going back to that 
um, getting outdoor activity. Um, kids, you need to kind of just let off steam through physical activity that, um, cause physical activity increases the endorphins in the brain, which are the kind of those feel good hormones, um, in the body. So the more activity that they can get, the more, um, their brains will see those endorphins, those feel good hormones, and that can help too. And then of course, again, we talked about the sleep. Um, so if they're not getting adequate sleep, um, then that also kind of makes kids, you know, cranky. Um, and then also we're going back to, you know, the eating the healthy food. So, you know, not eating the, the sweets and the, the chips and the cookies and uh, drinking, you know, heavily sugared beverages like, you know, sodas and um, juices with the added sugar, you know, making sure they're drinking lots of water eating those, um, you know, whole fruits as, as much as possible. So all of those things combined, um, you know, should help to, you know, kind of curb some problem behavior. Now, if it's, you know, really disruptive, then, you know, you may have to, you know, place a call to, you know, the pediatrician because a lot of officers are doing, you know, telemedicine visits um, right now. So, if it, you know, becomes too problematic, then you may have to place a call to the pediatrician and just, you know, um, talk over some things. Yeah, I was just going to bring in um, face masks and because we have um, many, many questions about those. Um, are homemade face masks, do they work as well as disposable masks? And then the second part that we have a lot of questions about is are kids' masks as effective as adult masks? Like, is it possible to keep our kids safe if we have a child face mask? So, a so the first question was, um, are the cloth masks as effective as, say, the surgical mask that um, healthcare workers wear? So. <laughs> There's, you know, probably was some controversy as, you know, a, a scarf is, you know, not going to, you know, be as effective as, you know, a, a surgical mask that a healthcare worker is, you know, going to wear because, you know, they're made out of, you know, different types of material. The, the bottom line is wearing a mask is more for the protection of or the prevention of spreading a respiratory illness through, you know, coughing and sneezing. You want to have your mouth and your nose covered when you're coughing and sneezing. So whether it's a homemade mask with, you know, a doubled up scarf, folded up uh, t-shirt, some people may have been seeing on um, videos, or whether it's, you know, made from maybe a little heavier cloth or fabric that someone has sewn together, that would be effective in, you know, stopping the the transmission of droplets, you know, from a, a cough or a sneeze. So that's really the main thing, but not necessarily that it's going to um, prevent a transmission of that, uh, those respiratory droplets to you as the person that's wearing the mask, because what's really going to help is you not being close to them. Even if wearing you're wearing a mask, physical distance 
distancing, social distancing is really, really important. It's still important. I think some people may be having a false sense of security with wearing a mask and thinking like, oh, okay, well, I can, you know, still be close to people and um, be in gatherings. But no, you, you cannot do that, should not do that. You still need to practice social distancing. So, but the main thing is if you, you know, you know, did cough or sneeze, you have on a mask. So you're at least preventing those droplets from, you know, traveling that six feet uh, distance. And any mask, whether it's a children's mask or an adult mask, you just have to make sure the mask is fitting over your nose and your mouth. So a child's mask will fit a child's face because a child's face is smaller than an adult. So an adult should not wear a child's mask because it's more than likely not going to be able to fit over the mouth and the nose. So a child's mask would be appropriate for a child. And I should note that for children, children two and older should be wearing masks. We don't want to put masks on, on infants. We don't want to do that. So two and older for children and then, you know, adults, you know, wear a mask that would fit their, their face appropriately. So Shaquanda has a question. Do you want to ask that question, Shaquanda? Okay, so I'm having a problem with um, keeping, um, having everybody keep the mask on his face uh, when we're out in public. How can I ensure that it's okay and that it's going to be safe for him? Well, safe and going out in public? Yes, so I, we just left from the grocery store and I put the mask on him and he pulled it off and he said, I don't want it. Um, I told him, look, mommy has on a mask too. And he was like, no, I don't want it. So I was like, well, you need the mask. And he's like, no. So it was kind of hard. I kept having to put, the, put it back on him. Um, but I just wanted to know, like, how can we... Uh, do I just keep being consistent with putting it on him? So be consistent in putting it on yourself. I would not battle him as far as putting it on him because he's not going to keep it on. He's three and he's, you know, I don't want it. I'm not going to keep it on. And if you, what you do, if you, you know, keep trying to make him wear it, what that's doing is he's, going to be touching his face, taking it off. And what we don't want people doing over and over again, we say, keep your hands out of your face. So if he's not going to wear it, it's okay. Don't, don't fight over it with him, but maybe give him some tissue and tell him if you cough or sneeze, you got to cough or sneeze into your tissue or cough or sneeze into your, your elbow. So there's some alternatives to uh, you know, wearing a mask for a child who's not going to wear it. Because like I said, we don't want him to keep touching his face, taking it off. So give him a little, maybe, you know, those little travel size pack of tissues. You know, if, if, if you can avoid bringing him or taking him to the grocery store, that would be the best thing. But if you're not able to, if there's no one else that can, you know, stay with him while you, you know, go to the grocery store, um, then at least just have some, you know, little tissues that he can have and just tell him, you know, you know, if you cough or sneeze, make sure you cough or sneeze in your tissue. I think at this point we finish up our last tip. All right. And, oh, that was setting goals. And I, um, this is probably more 
you know, like I said, applicable for the older um, school age kids. So whatever that goal may be, let's say they want to, you know, go out for uh, the basketball team or they want to go out for the debate team or they're going to uh, join the uh, the Girl Scouts or the Eagle Scouts or whatever it is, if it's an a, a older teenager, if they're, you know, they want to, you know, this year we've got our seniors um, going, you know, going to be going off to college in, in the fall somewhere. So um, going back to their freshman year, uh, hey, I want to go to uh, Harvard or I want to go to Clark Atlanta University. That's a shameless plug for my alma mater. <laughs> but whatever the goal may be, um, it's, I have, there's a little acronym that I found is called BEST. Um, and BEST stands for B, believe it can happen. So you have to be in the right frame of mind, believe that you're going to make the basketball team, or you're going to make the debate team, or you're going to go to uh, Clark Atlanta University or Harvard University. And then you're going to E, expect success. So you're going to expect that you are going to be successful on the debate team or the basketball team. S, set your mind. Just, you know, that's what you have in mind to do. So that's what you're going to put your focus on and, you know, learn what you need to do to um, to meet that goal in that aspect. Whether it's, you know, going to practice twice a week to, you know, be ready for the tryouts for the basketball team or watching um, um, films of debaters, reading different books, what have you. And then T is try, try, try. And I think that's probably the most important thing is letting kids know to put forth their best effort and to keep trying even if they don't succeed that first time. So a child who might be going out, um, you know, for the basketball team or some other team, um, I always like to use the an example of Michael Jordan, who, you know, everybody knows Michael Jordan is like one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But I don't know if a lot of people know that when he tried out for his um, high school basketball team, he didn't make it the first time. So you would think that, you know, oh, Michael Jordan, he just had it easy his whole life. And he was just been, you know, that caliber of a player all of his life. But he wasn't. So he didn't let that stop him. He, you know, continued and worked hard. So I always, you know, tell my patients that if you, you know, don't make it the first time, don't give up. You keep trying and eventually you would do it because hard work does pay off. That is the best um tip that you can give our parents because if they model that best acronym, then their children see them always trying, always setting their mind to do something and eventually accomplishing it. So I think that's a fantastic way to end the podcast today. I haven't heard much from my co-host, Jesse. So Jesse, tell us what you think about this discussion today. You know, it's, it's one of those moments when you realize you know, my dad always used to tell me, like, always remember, there are always people out there who have it better than you. And there are always people out there who have it harder than you. And listening to the discussion reminds me how little I should be upset that I am stuck in my house 
which is me, my wife, and our cat. Um, things are a lot more complicated for a lot of other people. And what's frustrating in this time is that I want to help, but literally it is impossible for me to help the way I normally would, which would be to, you know, uh, you know, get my hands dirty, which is not an expression you want to be saying or doing at this particular time. So, um, also, I'd like to point out that uh, as a basketball fan, I knew Michael Jordan did not make his high school team because he mentioned it all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was one of those things. Like he mentioned it. It was. It was. It. It's. St- well, the thing was, it still drove him. You know, probably still to this day, he mentioned it in his uh, Hall of Fame speech. He mentioned it in his retirement speech. Like you would think the greatest basketball player that ever lived would let that go at some point. But driven people find ways to drive themselves. Definitely. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Whitaker, we want to thank you. And uh, ladies, I am so proud of the questions that you all came up with. You all really, really put some thought into this. So um, I hope this information was helpful to you all. So if we could get each one of you to tell us goodbye, um, I think we'll end there. So you want to start off? I'm, I'm not sure if Jesse, if you have everyone muted or if we can just all chime in, but why don't, why don't the James Inc. Uh, Young Parent Advisory Board members, why don't you tell us your names and tell us your, and, and then just sign off. This is Shukwanda. Um, I really enjoyed um, this podcast. It was very informative. Um, it was good um, hearing Dr. Whitaker. Um, I was really excited to go see her for Levi's third uh, year checkup. Um, but with everything going on, um, I try to express positivity over this pandemic, even within myself, um, with having sickle. So it is more concerning for me because I want to stay as healthy as possible um, due to my um, immune system. And I want to ensure that Levi is safe and, and um, healthy as possible as well. Um, so this was um, one of the positive feedbacks that I needed to keep going and be motivated through this time, through this hard time. So my name is Linda Velasquez. Um, and I do want to thank um, Dr. Whitaker for taking the time and everybody who made this possible. Um, I really enjoyed, I feel that positivity and just spending this time right now. Um, although my kids are still in the background, um, I it, it, it's good having this information available. Um, I, I like having this feedback. Um, like you're saying, you know, we just needed that little, a little piece of hope, you know, that like, uh, Jesse said, you know, thing, there's people who have it worse out there, you know, and, um, we just have to learn how to, uh, see happiness in the little things, you know, um, regardless of everything that's coming negative. I mean, things will always be negative, but, um, you know, having this information kind of helped will help me learn more about what I can do to stay healthy. And you gave me some amazing resources to go and look for them because one of my questions was um, regarding, you know, staying healthy during these times because I just overeat either anxiety or I have nothing else to do. I just want to chew on something. And um, giving me the resources, I feel like it'll better guide me.
and thank you for that. Hi, guys. Don Levins, and I am the president of the Young Parent Advisory Board. I am hiding in my truck right now so that I could have a minute to talk to you guys. Um, I just really want to thank you, Dr. Whitaker, for yet again taking time out of your day to really talk with us and to give us information so that we can be at peace in our hearts and in our minds regarding our children. So really, really thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the James Inc. Podcast. I know these are interesting times, and if you are someone who needs help, you can reach out to James Inc. on their website or on Facebook. And please share this episode with anyone who needs any of the information that we shared in here. Lisa and I thank everyone for listening, and I hope you have as pleasant of a day as you can. Thank you. Thank you.